Welcome to Protecting Animal Welfare in Today's World, Building Unity Through Understanding, a series of podcasts sponsored by the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association and the College of Veterinarians of Ontario. I'm Dr. Kim Lambert, the Associate Registrar for Quality Practice with the College of Veterinarians of Ontario, and I will be the host of this session. There are six sessions in this podcast series focused on veterinary medicine and animal welfare. This is the second session, and we are going to discuss the One Welfare Movement and the Practicing Veterinarian's Role. This is part one of a two-part session. I am joined by Dr. Lee Neal, an Associate Professor at the Ontario Veterinary College, who holds the Colonel K.L. Campbell Chair in Companion Animal Welfare. Her current research and teaching are focused on the behavior and welfare of companion animals. I am also joined by Dr. Shane Bateman, who is an associate professor at the Ontario Veterinary College. Dr. Bateman is the previous interim veterinary director of the Kim and Stu Lang Community Healthcare Partnership at the Ontario Veterinary College from 2020 to 2022. And he has led a number of access to veterinary care initiatives over the past decade. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Neil and Dr. Bateman. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to talk about this important topic. Good morning. I'm very grateful to be here as well, and amidst such wonderful company. So I look forward to having some more conversation about this important topic. Great. Well, let's begin with the obvious question. What is One Welfare? At a basic level, One Welfare is about recognizing the interconnectedness of human well-being, animal welfare, and the physical and social environment, with a key focus on animal welfare being dependent on and influencing human well-being and environmental sustainability. Can you provide our listeners with some examples of One Welfare issues? There's different definitions of one welfare and concepts around it, but one welfare world presents the concept as an umbrella and under their umbrella are a range of examples, such as the relationship between animal and human abuse, the complex impacts of socioeconomic factors on both human and animal welfare, and the looming impacts of climate change on human and animal welfare. So one interesting example that shows the relationship between animal and human welfare comes from the COVID pandemic, where the needs of companion animals were found to influence people's feelings about getting tested and about pursuing necessary care, particularly when very ill and requiring hospitalization. So individuals who did not have someone reliable to care for their animals in their home expressed concern about pursuing treatment and leaving their animals unattended even if it put their own health and welfare at risk and potentially even their survival. So this really emphasizes the relationships between human and animal welfare. Another example that centers on affordable housing for people and pets in the home looks at sort of the cost of housing and how it relates to animals being present in the home. So research confirms that it's more difficult for people with animals to find rental housing. And a recent study found that people with animals are also charged higher rents on average and are often charged special fees for having an animal in the rental unit. So one thing that's really interesting is that in addition to these sort of base differences, the cost differences were found to be higher in low income areas, suggesting an increased burden for low income individuals. 
though the authors of the study highlighted that this translates to increased housing insecurity and an increased potential for pet relinquishment for marginalized and disadvantaged people with pets. And so in both of these examples, animal welfare and human welfare are very tightly linked. Those are great examples. And there is an environmental aspect of one welfare. Can you provide some examples of issues that demonstrate that aspect as well? Yes, the human-animal interactions are more obvious, but links with the environment are also a key part of the discussion, particularly with ongoing concerns about climate change. Recently, what we have been seeing is an increase in extreme weather events. And during extreme weather events, such as the flooding in BC last fall, we see mass displacement of people and the animals that are associated with them, because they also need to be removed from the area. So individuals with companion animals can struggle to find temporary shelter and transportation of farm animals poses a massive, almost impossible challenge. Many animals on farm were killed by the BC floods, which is an obvious animal welfare concern. But it's also an economic and mental health concern for the farmers who are impacted. So again, it's an environmental issue that's affecting both animals and people. Another interesting example linked to climate change is the movement of animals and diseases that they carry with temperature changes. So for example, in recent years, we have seen various tick species extending their range into Southern Ontario. And with that, there is an increased potential for tick-borne diseases in both animals and humans. So while disease is more of a one health concern, concerns about ticks might also have knock-on impacts for animal welfare, such as people limiting important off-leash exercise opportunities for dogs, particularly in areas with long grass where ticks are more of a concern. So again, we have climate change potentially influencing the welfare of both people and animals. And then another example would be situations where human struggle is directly linked to threats to animals in the environment. For example, in sub-Saharan Africa, poverty was found to be a driver of both subsistence poaching for food, as well as commercial poaching and trafficking for ivory and rhino horn. So marginalized individuals in these communities turned to poaching for survival, and the one welfare solution to helping animals and protecting the natural environment is to go to the root cause and to help the people who are struggling. I'll jump in here too, and I mean, such excellent examples that Lee has provided Again, thinking of how the environment has uh, an effect on these human and animal interactions and their welfare. But I think we can also think about how really outstanding human and animal welfare can actually have a positive and beneficial effect on the environment. And so in places like Australia, and again, starting to happen here in Canada, where um, Indigenous folks who have been caring for the land for since time immemorial Again, when we provide them with the tools in order to manage the environment and the animals within that environment, we can have actually a beneficial effect on the environment and potentially, you know, mitigate some of the risk for horrible wildfires that have, again, such a devastating impact on all of us. Thank you both for those examples that really demonstrate the importance of One Welfare. And we mentioned in some of the examples, One Health. And I wondered if you could help our listeners to understand the difference between a One Welfare approach and a One Health approach. And the ideas are really tightly linked. So One Health recognizes that human health and animal health are interdependent and that they're also linked to the health of the environment. 
It tends to have a greater focus on disease, though, and covers topics such as prevention and control of zoonosis, food safety, and antimicrobial resistance. One welfare is really an extension of those ideas, and it focuses on well-being more broadly, particularly with explicit inclusion of animal welfare. It also expands the environment from just the physical to also including the social environment. But obviously, there is a lot of overlap between those two concepts. Thank you. I wonder, what are some scenarios that demonstrate the relationship between human well-being, animal welfare, and the environment, and the veterinarian's role in One Welfare? So the relationship between human well-being, animal welfare, and the environment increasingly has become a topic for the veterinary profession and especially veterinary colleges within their curriculum to focus on. I think veterinarians are really uniquely trained. Our training and knowledge and skills and expertise really, I think, help us to understand complex issues, to understand the interconnectedness and relationships between all of these things much more uh, significantly than perhaps other professions may. I think the fact that uh, species uh, that we work on are all nonverbal predominantly. And so we really do have to think much more about problem solving and putting pieces of information together collaboratively. And again, we're so dependent often on our colleagues and specialists within the profession to assist us in sort of understanding and making progress on you know, the health issues of animals, but that can be extended to many other problems as well. So I think the veterinarian's role is kind of baked in almost to what we do as professionals and the training that we have. And I think maybe the, the easiest way to discuss that would be to talk about some examples. So Lee, maybe I think you wanted to chat first about that, the couple of problems that we had identified. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to start with a really simple example that illustrates how tight the link is between animal welfare and human welfare. So maybe we can start with an example that is something that pretty much every veterinarian has likely encountered. So think of an animal requiring care where the owner cannot afford to actually cover that care. So imagine a dog with severe dental disease and experiencing significant pain where there's an obvious welfare concern. The dog requires treatment, including immediate pain management, as well as a full dental cleaning and assessment as soon as possible. But then on the other side, we also have to remember that the dog is an integral member of the family and for both the dog's welfare and the human well-being, it's really important for the dog to remain in the home. So, you know, one solution that we can think of as well, if they can't afford to care for the dog, they shouldn't have it. But when we start to think about this dog welfare and human welfare component and the importance of keeping the dog in the home, that's an important thing that we need to think about. So. The other side of it, though, is that it's also important for veterinarians who also have well-being, obviously, to be valued and paid for their service as another link in the One Welfare Circle. So what are the options in this type of situation? So I think here we need to come up with creative solutions that can make sure that everybody's needs are met in these types of situations. 
So these creative solutions might include incremental care as the family can afford it. So ensuring that the dog is properly cared for and that their welfare isn't impaired, but maybe not pursuing all of the treatments right at once. Another option might be referral to a low-cost shelter-based clinic that is nearby, or there could be the potential for payment plans if that option exists at the clinic. So while foundations can sometimes assist with payments, criteria for access as well as fund availability is limiting. So this is rarely a viable option in our region. But these types of community supports do exist elsewhere. So thinking to the future, we need to consider how we might develop community-based programs for assisting multi-species families that are struggling. And not just financially, but also in other types of situations such as health crisis or when experiencing domestic violence. And such a common example, Lee, and, you know, it's something that is encountered so frequently. And, you know, I guess, uh, again, just commenting on my own experience recently, the last 10 years and working with a number of shelters and understanding the, the consequences of this so critically is that I think it's not uncommon in these situations for veterinarians to feel, you know, very trapped by the situation to make a recommendation and to know that the client is unable to afford it or chooses not to follow a recommendation. And, you know, maybe that conversation just never gets to have had because of the emotional volatility and, and costs associated with having some of those difficult conversations. So it's, it's so critical to have excellent communication skills and to open your heart and, and mind to, you know, what's absolutely in front of you and, and to kind of think about problem solving and being able to go beyond that history and, and previous experiences to try to find new solutions. And you're absolutely right. There are starting to be a lot of newer solutions and different funds and uh, subsidized care that is starting to come online, but so much can be accomplished by working together without judgment of one another. Fortunately, it's a real consequence still that in many of these cases, those animals who don't receive that dental care, often the client goes home and agonizes about how to get that animal's mouth looked after properly. And in some cases, those animals are relinquished to shelters who now are forced to try to find the funding to come up with fixing that situation for the animal. And now there's a family that desperately is missing that animal and the way that shelters have traditionally run and managed these kinds of situations in the past that those animals would never find their way back to that family again after their health issues taken care of. And so it's an issue that animal sheltering movement across North America is coming to this very stark reality that that is really detrimental and keeping pets with families needs to be a much higher priority uh, amongst the sheltering uh, community. And so we're starting to see massive shifts in attitudes and, and how these shelters manage these kinds of situations. So it's a moving train at the moment. There's lots of things taking place and this area I think is going to shift really dramatically in, in the next 10 years. So I think it's important, again, to touch on here. I know it's been discussed in previous podcasts, but 
one of the options that, again, in some situations a veterinarian may think about in these situations would be to consider reporting this family for animal welfare concerns and why or why not sometimes those kinds of situations take place. So it's maybe a, a quick opportunity for us to, to talk about that as well. I don't know if you have other thoughts about that, Lee. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that often there's concern about reporting because of the potential ramifications for, you know, the humans that are involved in the situation. So in situations where an animal is in distress, where there aren't any solutions that can be pursued, where treatment is being refused, for example, in this type of situation, then reporting would be necessary. But I think that it's important for people to sort of think about the process behind the scenes when they're considering reporting and recognizing that the primary goal goes beyond finding offenders and punishing them. So it's really about understanding why a situation developed in the first place and bringing in appropriate supports to assist in situations where human struggle is linked to animal welfare concerns. So especially if we think more broadly about other types of situations like hoarding or where an animal isn't being properly cared for in the home, there's the potential that other factors are involved. Factors that might need to be considered include poverty, mental and physical health concerns, and issues related to mental and physical abuse. And in many cases, there is the potential for reaching out to other organizations to get them involved in the process in order to assist with those types of concerns. Such excellent points. And I think you're touching on something that, that I've begun to understand and learn through a lot of the work that I've been involved with and kind of trying to understand that, but, but also stumbling across this concept called trauma-informed care that's become, you know, now that, now that I've heard the term once and go, ah, that's what I've been thinking about for all this time, it actually has a name you hear it everywhere. And it's, again, I think such an important concept and such a critical thing for everyone to understand in order for us to really bring one welfare to a whole different level of understanding and ability to practice in a one welfare environment. And so uh, trauma-informed care really, again, touches on those points that you just made, Lee, which are that you know, people who find themselves in these kinds of situations don't necessarily always choose to be there of their own volition. You know, there's so much research that identifies traumatic experiences in those people's lives that have triggered off a whole cascade of behavioral coping mechanisms that often contribute to trapping folks in this cycle of lived experiences where these kinds of things just get worse. So it is really important if we're providing trauma-informed care to people that we're thinking about those kinds of things to recognize that folks who are coming into veterinary clinics may have had previously traumatic experiences. And so we need to create safer environments for those people to have empathic experiences where they are seen, heard, and that they are treated with dignity and respect. And in so many ways need to have much more control of their experience in order to cope appropriately with 
challenges associated with working in an environment that has treated them terribly in the past. So throughout One Welfare, this concept of trauma-informed care needs to be front and center. And it really is fundamental to challenging our thinking and coming at this from a different perspective and to be thinking about how we actually practice One Welfare going forward. I don't know if you have anything else that you'd like to add about that, Lee. Well, there's such good points. And I guess just emphasizing this idea that there's an assumption that the welfare of animals is impaired in these situations. And maybe with lack of funds, there are some concerns, but there can also be some benefits as well in terms of those animals having a very strong bond with those individuals that's very good for their welfare. So I think we need to challenge those assumptions that you know, personal struggles in people's lives mean that the animals in the homes are actually treated poorly. This is the end of part one of our session focusing on One Welfare and the Practicing Veterinarian's Role. Please join us for part two, where we will continue to discuss this important topic and resources that are available to veterinary teams. For access to the podcasts at a later date, please visit www.cvo.org forward slash resources. Thank you for listening.